Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, what an honor it is to worship Jesus in the house of God on Easter Sunday with you. I could not be more thrilled that you are here. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you and uh, you should consider it a joy and a privilege uh, to come into God's house on Easter Sunday. This is the greatest day in history for believers because it's the day that Jesus Christ walked out of the grave in bodily human form. He defeated death. He defeated your sin, and he proved that he is the only way to an eternal life in heaven with God. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to open God's holy word with you today, and I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at the first 17 verses, and the Lord put on my heart earlier this week a message entitled, The Tomb Testifies, Jesus is Lord. And we've been in a series called Table to Tomb, really looking at the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus Christ. And today is the culmination of that series. But today is the culmination of the entire history of the world. And it is the culmination of the entire Bible until Jesus Christ comes again to set up a new heavens and a new earth where his people will exalt him and reign with him on high forever. But the big idea that I want to give to you on Resurrection Sunday 2023 is this. The empty tomb testifies that Jesus is Lord. What about you? The empty tomb testifies. Everything is testifying that Jesus is Lord. What about you? And we will see today that if Jesus truly is the Lord of your life, then you will live a life of worship to him as your king. Only those who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ can be saved from the wrath of God that comes against sinners and all ungodliness. And we will see today that there's really two responses to the empty tomb. There is doubt and there is worship. Those who doubt his resurrection do not worship him as Lord. But those who have come to believe in his resurrection... Know him as the Lord of life who has power over the grave. Therefore, you will give him your life and follow him at all costs. So I want you to get your eyes on a copy of God's word. We're going to allow his word to speak to us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, share with somebody who came next to you. And let's allow God's word to speak to us today. This is a holy moment. Now hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, and behold... Jesus met them saying greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. 
Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while he were, we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So this is God's word for us today. And the Lord put on my heart eight testifying truths from the tomb in Matthew chapter 28. Eight testifying truths from the tomb. If you're ready, say, let's go. All right, you're fired up this morning. I love it. All right, number one is this. The women's devotion testified that Jesus is Lord. The women's devotion testified Jesus is Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now Matthew, who is writing this gospel account, he's giving us minor details, but incredibly important details concerning the evidence surrounding Jesus' resurrection. See, the beauty of four different gospels, there's four gospels written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written to different audiences from different perspectives, but all landing at the same place, Jesus Christ indeed rose from the dead. But in Matthew's account, written to this Jewish audience, the women are highlighted in a very important light. What I want you to see is that Matthew is not just showing us that these women were present at his resurrection. They were actually eyewitnesses to his death, to his burial and location, and to his resurrection on that Easter Sunday. Look back in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27, verse 55. Might be a column over. But it says this, there were also many women there looking on and a distance at the, as they followed Jesus of Galilee ministering to him. So this is talking about the crucifixion. There were many women watching on as Jesus was pronounced dead on the scene by professional executioners known as the Roman guards. Verse 56, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Get it. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So Mary and Mary see Jesus pronounced dead at the cross. They see Jesus' body um, Got, gotten ready for burial by Joseph of Arimathea. They see Jesus put in the tomb, a rolled in place, and then on the morning of the resurrection, Mary and Mary go to the exact tomb because they were just there 48 hours earlier. They indeed had the right tomb. Now, what were these women doing that morning? They were going to pay respects and honor the body of their dear friend, 
who had died. It'd be like you stopping by a gravestone or a headstone and laying flowers there or a picture there, only even deeper, they believed this to be their Messiah. He certainly didn't go out the way that they thought he'd go, but they had seen enough and experienced enough to believe that he is their Lord. And Mary Magdalene, she had been delivered from seven demons by Jesus miraculously. She became a follower of Jesus. She becomes the first person to see Jesus alive. The other Mary was the mother of a disciple of Jesus. Imagine if your son had been impacted by this person so deeply and he had been crucified, you would have great respect for this man. So they both wanted to honor Jesus for themselves. In verses 57 to 61, they saw Joseph of Arimathea and in John, we learned that Nicodemus was there and they used 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh to prepare the body of Jesus. That's a lot if you're talking historically. And Mary and Mary are like, these guys don't even know Jesus like we know Jesus. So we want to give our part to the body of Christ. We want to honor our friend. And so we're going to go back after the Sabbath and we'll honor the body of Christ. So in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that the women rested on the Sabbath. That would be Saturday. And the dawn of the first morning, verse 1 of chapter 28, they went to see the tomb. Their devotion to Jesus, even while he was dead, was testifying that he is Lord. He went out in an unseen way, and yet he was extraordinary to these followers of Jesus. And they wanted to go, and they wanted to honor him because they believed that he was their Lord. Number two this morning, the earthquake testifies that Jesus is Lord. The earthquake testifies that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse two. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, this is the second natural disaster moment that's happened surrounding the man Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross on Friday evening, Matthew recorded this in Matthew 27. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this is the Son of God. Everything is testifying that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is ruler, that he's the creator of the ends of the earth. And they had crucified the creator and the creation was letting them know. But it's consistent with all of creation. It's consistent with what Jesus said, that if we will not worship him, if we will not praise him, even the rocks will cry out in worship. Romans 1 verse 20 says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so we are without excuse. You will be held responsible for your love for Jesus because you wake up and breathe in a world that he obviously created every single day. The heavens declare the glory of God. Everything around us is praising the maker. What about you? And just as there was an earthquake at his death, there was an earthquake at his resurrection. The earth shook as the Savior died, and the earth shook as the Lord of life defeated death and the grave. And the first earthquake removed the barrier between God and man, and the second earthquake removed the sting of death forever. 
In the Psalms, it says this in Psalm 96, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Creation is testifying that Jesus is Lord of all. Now, number three this morning is this. The angel testified that Jesus is Lord. The angel testified Jesus is Lord. Look as it goes on. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Now, just understand this. Jesus didn't need the angel to roll the stone away so that he could get out. We learned that Jesus did rise in bodily human form, but he was appearing in the upper room with the disciples. Jesus was not contained by the stone and the grave. The angel simply came and rolled away the stone so that the women could see in, so that you and I could see into the grave and know that Jesus is not there. But this angel comes from heaven, rolls away the stone, and it says that he sat on it, which I just think is a pretty baller move. What, what pose do you think he did? Like, if I'm an angel, I'm just like, sup, Mary's, you know, down. So I don't know exactly what that angel did. <laughs> but his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, because that's pretty terrifying, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So the angel testifies that Jesus indeed was crucified and dead. He is not here. The angel testifies that Jesus' body is not there, for he has risen. The angel testifies that Jesus came back from the dead. As he said, come see the place where he lay. And the angel invites the women into the tomb and then tells them, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you so. So we've seen Jesus already in the last 24 hours, mention angels, that he has an army of angels waiting for him. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested and his friend, his hot-headed friend Peter pulls out the sword, whacks the dude's ear off. Jesus says, Peter, he said this in Matthew 26, put your sword back. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So all over the last 24 hours of Jesus's life, he's testifying that he is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the Lord. He is the only begotten son of God. And the thought that he has 12 legions of angels at his beck and call makes his crucifixion and his death even more powerful for us. The fact that Jesus, the Lord and Messiah, hung on that cross willingly and didn't send angels to wipe out the Roman guards, to wipe out the Jewish leaders, to clear himself entirely, tells us how much he loves you. Because he was willing to endure the cross for you and it was the will of the Lord to crush him and by his stripes we receive healing. So rather than Jesus using his angels to overthrow, Jesus took the full brunt of God's wrath and punishment for sin so that mankind could become his righteousness. And so as Jesus died, the angels watched in horror, held back by the meekness of our Savior. But as Jesus rose, an angel was sent to testify that he is not here because he is risen. 
An angel was sent from the Lord to testify that Jesus is Lord. Number four this morning is this. The women's worship testified that Jesus is Lord. Their devotion testified Jesus is Lord just by them going to the tomb that morning. But the women's worship testified that Jesus is Lord. Look at verses 8 and 9. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Y'all, this is the proper response to the lordship of Jesus Christ, falling down in worship to him as king, falling down in humility because Jesus is God. And just imagine the emotions of this moment. They knew he was special. They thought he was the Messiah that they'd longed for. Mary Magdalene, she was a direct result of his miracles, but they saw him brutally murdered on a cross right in front of their eyes. Yet in this moment in history, he stood before them alive and he spoke to them. And he spoke to them so clearly that he wasn't just a figment of their imagination because they took hold of his physical, nail-pierced feet. And the feet of Jesus, it was a familiar place for some of these women. I don't know if this is the exact Mary, but it records in Scripture that Jesus' friend Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and she was commended for it. There's a recording of a Mary who poured expensive perfume on his feet and cried onto his feet and wiped his dirty feet with her hair. Mary Magdalene was freed by demons by Jesus So she saw him as her savior. She was loved by Jesus. So she saw him as her friend and she surrendered to follow him as Lord and Messiah as she clung tightly to his feet without question. And Mary's worship testified that Jesus is Lord. She hit the dirt. She put her face on the ground, her face on her savior's feet. And in John's gospel account, Jesus tells Mary, stop clinging to me. There's work to be done shows how desperate she was for this moment with her risen Savior and Lord. Beautiful picture of her devotion. But Mary Magdalene is an example that the worst of sinners can be redeemed and used for the greatest purposes. The worst of sinners. Mary, living for the world, living for herself, under the control of demons and the enemy. And yet Jesus set her free and redeemed her life. And she becomes the first person to witness the resurrected Messiah. How many of y'all are pumped that the women got it first? Women usually do get it first. But the women got it first. And there should be urgency even today to tell and to worship the Savior who is Lord. Now, number five is quick. The women's testimony testified that Jesus is Lord. Not only did their devotion testify, not only did their worship testify, but the women's devotion testified that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Back in verse seven, the angel said, go quickly. Tell his disciples. Verse eight, they departed quickly from the tomb. The women didn't waste any time They didn't devise a plan or stop to discuss if this was actually real or if it was just a figment of their imagination. They ran with haste to tell people that Jesus is risen from the dead. They believed the angel at his word. They ran with urgency to tell 
others and they met Jesus on the way because the women had a testimony to tell. And get this this morning on Easter Sunday, so should you if you have been impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have the greatest message in all of history that Jesus defeated death in the grave. And if you'll repent and believe and follow him, your life can be changed forever. So there should be an urgency for everyone, even today, behind the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, number six this morning is this. The religious leaders fear testified that Jesus is Lord. The religious leaders fear testified that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, Matthew's account in the Gospels of the resurrection, it's beautifully simple. It gives us eyewitness accounts of his death, his burial location, his resurrection. And now he's giving us the details of the lies and the falsehoods that surrounded the resurrection on the day that he rose from the dead. Of course, the Jewish leaders feared that this man would actually come back from the dead. The disciples, they're hiding away. Uh, they, they forgot all the things that Jesus had said. They're cowering in the upper room. The women weren't fearful. They were going to go to the tomb and, I guess, ask the guards, can you let us in so that we can honor our friend Jesus? The big, bad Roman guards, the women were going there. But uh, in Matthew chapter 27, 63, one column over, this is what the Jewish leaders recorded before Jesus went into the grave. Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. So the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious leaders of the day, their worst nightmare was coming true. They had killed their Lord in self-righteous, hypocritical animosity, and their reputation was now even more on the line. But rather than surrendering to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Lord that their religion has longed for, rather than bowing the knee like the women did, they got even more self-righteous. They became even more puffed up. They began to devise more lies and they came up with more money and they fabricated that the body of Jesus was stolen out of the grave. And the only problem with their lie is that Jesus began to appear to people in bodily human form day after day for the next 40 days. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6 the Apostle Paul, this is written years later on a different continent as the message of the resurrection is spreading around the world rapidly. And, and, and Paul said this, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
So as the gospel went to Corinth, these aren't even Jews now, it's going to Gentiles and they're saying, did Jesus, can a man rise from the dead? And Paul says, I'll show you 500 brothers and sisters who saw him alive and a lot of them are still living. And if you want an eyewitness account that Jesus walked out of that grave, I got it for you. And it's been recorded and preserved in the word of God ever since. But not to mention Paul speaking these things in Corinth, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection came, came the day of Pentecost, which was the day that the church was born. And the church is a movement that has spread all around the world based on the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It's the truth that we're sitting here today. It's why you came at eight in the morning and packed this place out and we sing and celebrate with songs of joy and resurrection because the truth of Christ has spread all around the world. And if, if these religious leaders hated Jesus so much and if they hated the church so much and if truly they had stolen the body, don't you think they could have came up with the body of Jesus to disprove the faith of Christianity but Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the lie of the Pharisees and the guards was a wicked and evil suppression of the truth that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus rose from the dead. But you have to understand this. Trying to suppress the truth of Jesus is consistent with every person's nature as a sinner in a broken world. Many don't want Jesus to be risen from the dead because they don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And people don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life because people want to be their own ruler. And if Jesus is the Lord, then you can't be your own God. And you can't live how you wanna live. Rather, you must live for the glory of God. You can't set your own standards of morality and Lord knows that's what our culture wants to do. I wanna live the way I wanna live. I wanna do what makes me feel good. I wanna do what brings me pleasure. And I won't apologize for what God says. God gives us a perfect law. And if we follow it, our life will be good. If we follow it, we will see that Jesus is Lord of life. And if you deny yourself, you can see the way of Christ is the better way. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth about the lordship of Jesus is what we do apart from God's great grace. And the first place to try to steal from Christ's lordship is to say that he actually didn't rise from the dead and the wrath of God is absolutely against this. And the fear of the religious leaders that day was testifying of the lordship of Jesus. They just didn't believe it. They didn't want to surrender to it. And so they lied and fabricated their own stories. Now, number seven, the disciples' encounter testifies that Jesus is Lord. The disciples' encounter testifies that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 16 through 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Can you just put yourself in the situation for a moment? Can you just imagine the overwhelming awe and even the flabbergasted emotions of Jesus' 11 friends 
as they walk up onto this place and they see their Savior for the first time. The emotions must have been so great. Even the doubt probably was so great. Matthew gives us this condensed version of the interactions with Jesus. In other gospel accounts, it records that Jesus appeared later that evening in uh, an upper room and he eats with them and he has conversation with them and he appears to them and walks with them. But Matthew's simple account shows us this beautiful picture of the disciples encountering the risen Christ. And first it says in the text that they saw him, their sight is now testifying that Jesus is Lord. And you could just imagine them saying, is, is that really him? That can't be him. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Uh, is that Jesus? And, the, and then they run up and they recognize that it's Jesus. But second, their response testified that Jesus is Lord. And this is a great place for us to land today. Some worshiped him, but some doubted. Massive importance in the worship that is taking place as the disciples run to worship Jesus as Lord. See, Matthew, he was a monotheistic Jew. So the Jews believe that God is one. They worship Yahweh. But Matthew's a monotheistic Jew writing to a monotheistic Jewish audience portraying monotheistic Jews now bowing down to a man who had been killed a couple days ago, but now it appears that this man has risen from the dead. And understand that this would be blasphemy at the highest level in the Jewish culture if Jesus were not the Messiah. But what Matthew is writing and what Matthew is portraying is that Israel's Messiah indeed came and Israel's Messiah was indeed a conquering lion. He went out as a precious lamb, but he comes back as a conquering lion, defeating death in the grave. And Israel's Messiah not only came to rescue and to redeem, but he defeated death and the grave forever. It's amazing. And, and, and the women grabbing Jesus' feet, the disciples bowing down to worship him is, is, is proclaiming that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was at work at crushing the head of the enemy and defeating your sin and defeating death in the grave so that you could call upon the God of glory. Now, I said that their response testified Jesus is Lord. You might say, well, some doubted. Uh, not everybody worshiped. And first I would say, wouldn't you doubt? <laughs> wouldn't you have some doubts if you saw your friend brutally murdered a couple days ago and then he's standing before you? But the second thing I'll tell you, though some of the disciples doubted, we eventually see that they believed. The Gospel of John records Jesus' interactions with his disciple Thomas. Unfortunately, he's become known as Doubting Thomas and it's been held against him for centuries. Uh, but I'm sure we would probably find ourselves in that situation. But Thomas said this in John chapter 20. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into Jesus' side, I will never believe. But Jesus said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand in the place of my side. And Thomas proclaimed these words, my Lord and my God. And even more important, do you see the compassion of Jesus on his disciples? He didn't push Thomas aside for his doubt. He didn't push Thomas aside for his questions. He didn't push Thomas aside for the things that he went through in this life 
that caused him from, from doubting the risen Savior. He took his time with Thomas. And he invited Thomas to come and to touch him and to see his wounds. And Thomas came to a conclusion. He is my Lord. He is my God. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And even this morning, I prayed that prayer. Lord, would you help me to believe even when I can't see? And, and my heart goes out to just so many people in the room today because I know that on a celebration Sunday, some of you are facing hard things. And some of those hard things keep you from believing in the power of Jesus over death and the grave. But blessed are those who see. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. We serve a compassionate Savior who loves you enough to die for you. Enough to bear with you in your problems and in your hurt and in your questions. And we see that on display in the doubt and the worship of the disciples. This is a proper response to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The disciples' response testified that Jesus is Lord. What about you? And the ninth thing that I'll give to you today is this. Your response must testify that Jesus is Lord. Your response must testify that Jesus is Lord. I would assume that you've heard this word Lord before. And after all of this preaching, I want to be sure to clarify it for you today. The declaration that Jesus is Lord is the declaration that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God's divine, holy, and spotless Son. Jesus is the second member of the triune God who always was and who always will be. Jesus is God in the flesh who lived a perfect life and died a death that he didn't deserve. And then he rose again from the dead, proving that he truly is God who has power over the grave. So for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life, for you to truly confess Jesus as Lord means that you will no longer live your life the way that everyone else lives their life. If Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, you won't talk the way that everybody else in the world and in the culture talks. If Jesus is truly Lord of your life, then you won't love the things that this culture tells you to love. And you won't hold close and hold fast to the things of this world. If Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, then you'll seek to obey God and you'll seek to obey the Bible because his law is perfect. And it's an extension of his lordship to us on the earth. And the only way, the only true way to know Jesus and to be saved by Jesus is to come to the understanding that he is Lord of all. And every person in this room should be able to take an assessment of your life right now. You know what? I don't live like Jesus is Lord of my life. I was here last year and I felt some things, but the rest of the year, I did what was right in my own eyes. The rest of the year, I walked back into the world and I did what my friends tell me is cool to do. I did what this world tells me is okay. I, I didn't even crack this book because I don't understand it. But the Spirit of God wants to help you today understand that your life is not your own. You were created for a purpose. You were created to be like Mary, worshiping at the feet of Jesus Christ. And the whole triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they want to be at work in your life today. 
They want to be at work in your life. The Father chooses us and calls us and draws us. And Jesus redeems us at the cross and the Spirit fills us as our guarantee for salvation so that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling and worship him with our lives. There's this verse in in Romans chapter 10, verse nine that Paul writes. It says this, it's on the screen. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know everyone's story in the room, but I would venture to say if I took a poll and said, who wants to be saved? You would all be like, I'd love to be saved. I don't wanna be not saved. Uh, What are we getting saved from? You might ask. (laughs) And the Bible would tell you that you need saved from the wrath of God toward sin. Sin is, theologians talk about sin like it's an archery term. It's missing the mark. So if the mark, if the bullseye is perfection, every person in this room has missed it by a long shot. And it's the idea that as every person has sinned, because you have sinned, the wrath of God is set against you. The payment for your sin is death and the judgment for your sin will be an eternity in a place called hell. Here this morning, you go to hell if you are not saved in the way that Romans chapter 10 verse nine talks about it. How do you get saved? The Bible told us, you confess Jesus as Lord, as ruler, as king, as God, and you believe that God raised him from the dead. You believing that Jesus actually walked out of the grave in bodily human form and physically rose from the dead is a matter of you being saved or not. It's not just a great story. It's not just a great thing, an inspirational thing to hear once a year on Easter Sunday. If you actually believe Jesus rose from the dead, then I would venture to say that you believe he's Lord of all, that he has power over death and the grave, that he should have power over everything in life. Therefore, he should have power over your life. At the heart of salvation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the confession that he is Lord and rules everything including your life. So on Easter Sunday, 2023, I love you way too much to not tell you that coming to church today will not save you from hell or the wrath of God that is to come. Uh, Coming to a service year after year, once every now and then, not gonna save you from the wrath of God that is to come. The faith of your grandma, the faith of your parents, the faith of your pastor, the faith of your friends, It's not enough to save you from the wrath of God that is to come, but Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all and who rose from the dead can absolutely save you and change your life forever. And the empty tomb testifies that Jesus is Lord. What about you? It's the question at the heart of the gospel, the truth that God is holy. He's other, he's set apart, he's right. He's righteous, but you are not. Man is sinful, man is broken, man is wretched, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. And this belief is not just that Jesus is a savior. This belief is not just a confession that comes out of your mouth. It's it's an understanding and a belief that moves you to action in this life. Everything changes when Jesus becomes Lord of your life. 
because you're no longer living for the world. You're no longer living for your own accolades. You're living for the glory of God. And the only way, the only truth, the only life is Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved. Religion can't save you. The good life can't save you. Life after death absolutely matters and the gospel calls every person to turn from sin, acknowledge Jesus as Lord and surrender everything to him for the opportunity to reign with him in glory forever. I wanna invite you to bow your heads in this moment. There's a lot to contemplate, a lot to think about there. I trust that the spirit of God is moving in your heart, moving you to worship Christ just as the women did that morning. I pray that you could see yourself grabbing the feet of your beloved risen savior. But if you're here today and there's a stirring in your heart, you know that you need to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. I want you to lean into that. The spirit of God wants to open your heart the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And by nature, you are children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, he makes us alive in Christ Jesus. I have enough faith to believe that God can make dead people alive, even this morning. If you would get honest before God, and let him know that you are a dead, wretched man or woman. God can make you alive. God can bring you to life. God is a miracle working God. And it's all by his strength and his grace and his power that believers can come to the place where we acknowledge it is done, it is finished. Christ has truly won. Father God, I pray for my friends in this room today. What a momentous opportunity it is to gather with the people of God, to gather in the house of God on a day where the world recognizes that Jesus Christ walked out of the grave. And scripture proclaims it best. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? while we live in this broken world, while we face hardship and pain, we thank you that Jesus took the sting out of it. We thank you that Jesus took the victory out of it. And while we mourn, we mourn with hope. While we grieve, we grieve with hope because there is life beyond what this place has to offer. And so Jesus, would you be Lord and would you reign even here and now in this place? I pray for every heart that's in this place, God. I pray for every struggling soul. I pray for every dead person here that needs to be changed from death to life. Spirit, you can do it. Spirit, you can do it. You've done it in me. Where would I be without the precious gospel of Jesus Christ? But thank you, God, for intersecting my dead life at a young age and for transforming me into your image and into the likeness of your son and giving me a desire. Lord, I, I fall on a regular basis. Lord, I'm by no means a perfect man, but I thank you that the blood of Jesus has covered my life. 
and has set me free so that I can proclaim Jesus is Lord with the rest of creation. Lord, have your way among us here and now as we respond, as we marvel. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet.